It's Thursday, July 2nd. I'm Stephen Fee, and this is The Pen Pod, a limited-run podcast from Pen America. On today's edition, Letting Down Our Guard, science journalist Ed Yong discusses the missed signs of the COVID-19 pandemic and how a splintering of information made the crisis even worse. Then, Stone Soup with James C. I'm Stephen Fee, all that coming up on The Pen Pod. Science journalists have helped us navigate the coronavirus crisis and have also witnessed firsthand how miscommunication about science has perhaps worsened the pandemic. PEN America's Gina Chung has more. Ed Yong is an award-winning science journalist who reports for The Atlantic. His work has been featured in National Geographic, The New Yorker, Wired, Nature, New Scientist, Scientific American, and many more publications. His first book, I Contain Multitudes, which was published in 2016 and became a New York Times bestseller, takes a close look at the amazing partnerships between animals and microbes. Based in Washington, D.C., Ed Yong joins me now. Ed, thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to start with an article that you wrote back in 2018 that feels remarkably prescient now, in which you wrote about America's unpreparedness for the inevitably upcoming next pandemic, in which you also Mm -hmm. spoke with Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is, of course, now a household name. What is it, um, would you say, about medical crises like this that make us as a nation so complacent, at least at their outset? Um, I think it's, you know, I I think we suffer from um, longstanding and universal psychological biases that mean Um, When a crisis is knocking on our door, we panic and we throw all of our attention and resources at the problem. And then as soon as it fades, um, we lapse into neglect. We forget. um, We lower our guard. And that, I think, is where the U.S. was at the start of this. It had many longstanding problems and vulnerabilities that the pandemic then exploited, in many of which I discussed in that piece in 2018, um, others I didn't that um, have now come to light. But it's all it was all predictable in 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 many ways. I think it it is um, what the way the pandemic has played out in the U.S. Um, you know, a, a lot of people saw coming. But I think the extent to which America really has blundered in the face of this, um, on the in the face of this disaster, is is really surprising and really shocking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, right now, in terms of the sort of ongoing narrative about the pandemic, there are just so many different interpretations um, from ABC to Fox to Twitter, wherever you know you happen to get your news these days. How do you think that phenomenon of increasing media fragmentation that we found ourselves in has influenced our current moment and our sort of understanding of what's happening? Uh, It's definitely made the pandemic harder to control and it's made it harder for people to get a crisp, clear understanding of what is happening. During a um, global crisis of this kind, um, you need clear and consistent communication from Um, leaders and authority figures, you need those communications to be based on evidence, to be scientifically minded. Um, And we haven't had that 
that, or at least we haven't had that consistently. Um, from the White House, we've had misleading statements. We've had Trump contradicting his own scientific advisors and frequently himself. Um, from a hyperpartisan media, we've had um, false narratives about how the pandemic is, um, is, is not actually much of a problem, that it's similar to flu, all these kinds of misstatements that um, made a certain proportion of Americans um, lower their guard or, or feel less concerned, less prepared than they should have done. Um, you know, almost everything in this country is highly polarized now, um, and the pandemic was no exception. Um, it, it was no, it was no surprise that it should that public health should be dragged into the same culture war that almost everything else has been. That being said, I do think that it is remarkable um, how unified much of America was in the face of that. How um, the majority of people across the political spectrum agreed that social distancing was important, agreed that states should be um, careful about reopening again, you know, agreed that masks were important and should be mandatory in ind indoor spaces. That there is a huge amount of agreement um, that we really don't see in a lot of other areas. And while the partisan gap still exists and is clearly being driven by partisan news coverage, I think there is some hope and optimism to be found in um, this stereotypically individualist nation being remarkably prepared to act in the collective good. Yeah, I think that's a really um, important point to be thinking about in terms of our, our sort of collective response, like the failures on the part of um, leadership, but also the ways in which people have, as you pointed out, have come together to kind of respond in kind. Um, and I wanted to turn to this idea of, um, you know, interdependence and the fact that in this pandemic, we are finding that um, we are very connected in ways that we might not have thought of before. And in your book, I Contain Multitudes, you present several really fascinating examples of how microbes in particular play a huge symbiotic role inside our bodies, helping us to shape and maintain our bodies and just overall health. Why did you feel it was important for us to be aware of this relationship between human and microbial cells? You know, I I, I wouldn't say um, important. Uh, clearly, there are health implications there. Uh, I, I just think that um, it's, it is a wonderful thing to know. It, it, it profoundly changes our understanding of our bodies, of... Um, our behavior and of the rest of the natural world um, if we understand how deeply microbes shape our lives. The book I wrote, I Contain Multitudes, was about the beneficial sides of that. Obviously, we are now seeing um, detrimental effects that microbes can wreak. But, you know, all that being said, I think the thread that unites them is that, you know, we have, we as a species gravitate a little towards narcissism. You know, we think that we are almighty and all-powerful, um, that we have dominion over the world, and yet very small things that we cannot see and that we can barely study um, really significantly, profoundly change our lives, often for the better, mostly for the better, I think, but occasionally 
considerably for the worse. Um, and we need to appreciate that influence. We need to understand ourselves as part of this wider, deeper um, sense of nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in a way, it's kind of um, sort of like an inverse uh, of the feeling of, you know, looking up at the night sky and kind of pondering, you know, your sort of smallness in terms of the larger universe. But it's sort of the, right. the opposite of that, where you're kind of looking at the, the universe that's happening inside our bodies, which is, you know, really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's it. You're right. You're totally right. That's that. Um, that dizzying sense of scale um, is something that I'm really interested in in my in my writing, and that fueled a lot of the the um, interest in the book. Yeah, definitely. And we're seeing, you know, um, just turning back to the pandemic, the ways in which um, the stories that we also tell about our bodies has has such huge implications for things like policy um, on the health level. And you also recently wrote a piece about the phenomenon of those affected by COVID nineteen who've been dealing with their symptoms for at least a month or longer. Um, and some of the people in this community have referred to themselves as long haulers. And those experiences have, have really been left out of the narrative about COVID-19. You know, we're either, we're told that either this will, you know, basically be fatal or you'll get over it and it'll be very mild. So why do you think that is that we're not hearing about those other stories? Um, you know, the, I, our tendency, so, the, the partisanship we've already talked about, I think, is part of a broader tendency to, to, to uh, dichotomize everything, to see everything as binaries um, with with few shades of grey in the middle. We see that in the pandemic. You know, you think of people either as being uh, dead or having recovered. Um, and these long haulers who've been dealing with symptoms for many months um, fall into neither category. We talk about... Um, like you say, either severe cases that are bad enough to need oxygen, to need ventilators and care in an intensive care unit, or that are mild, like a common cold, a, a mere sniffle. And yet again, these long haulers are neither. Um, technically, they count as mild because they aren't on ventilators, um, and many have never been hospitalized. But Many of them have been incapacitated for months. Um, you know, they cannot go about their normal lives. They have been pummeled by these rolling waves of really debilitating symptoms. So, you know, the, the, you're right that the pandemic narratives we tell are much too simple and much too polarized towards two very stark extremes. There is a huge middle ground whose stories aren't being told. Um, many of these long haulers are young, they're fit, they're healthy, or at least they were until they've had these months of debilitating symptoms. Um, and, you know, they are, many of them are not reflected in case counts. They're certainly not reflected in hospitalizations, in deaths, in recoveries. Um, all these numbers that we use to tell the stories of the pandemic are missing out a large number of people. And I think if we knew their story, we might make a different calculus about our own risk. You know, if you knew that um, a lot of young, healthy people would be sick for months, maybe suffer, suffering from maybe eventually suffering from permanent disability as a result of this, maybe that's going to change your view about you know whether we should be reopening or going back into the world 
And I think that, you know, as journalists, it is our responsibility to resist those easy dichotomies and to find all the missing nuance in the middle um, that is important, but is also being neglected. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fascinating. And, you know, just on a personal note, I have a few friends who um, kind of kind of fit that profile that you just described. Mm -hmm. They're young, otherwise healthy. And then, you know, they've just been completely flattened by by the co the symptoms of COVID-19 and are, are still dealing with it. So I think it is incredibly important that um, just largely we start to be more aware of those stories. Um, I just wanted to ask, um, since, you know, we're, uh, we've been asking a lot of the folks who've been on the show um, in terms of, you know, what they've been up to in this period of social distancing, um, what have you been reading right now that's either helping to provide some context around our current moment or providing a bit of distraction from it, perhaps? Um, I wish I had more to say, honestly, but um, I have been working around the clock on pandemic coverage and I, I'm finding it um, I'm finding it draining um, and I don't really have a ton of um, mental capacity to concentrate on the kinds of fiction and nonfiction that I would normally be reading. Um, you know, it's not it's not the best. Um, you know, clearly a ton of other people are, are undergoing far greater hardships. I'm not really complaining, but, um, you know, for me, this this is such a pivotal moment and it is so... It is so fast moving. The stakes are so high. The responsibilities are so great that um, it's it's really consuming almost all of my attention and mental energy right now. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, yeah, well, we're so appreciative of the the work that you and other journalists have been doing in terms of providing um, just really important reporting on this pandemic as it continues to unfold. So, thank you so yeah. much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Um, journalist and writer Ed Yong is the author of I Contain Multitudes. Thanks so much for being here, Ed. Yeah, thanks for having me. Be safe. What's the least photogenic recipe in your recipe book? For writer James C., it's definitely stone soup. Made from coconut milk, or as he calls it, a magical elixir, C. says this easy weekday meal is endlessly adaptable and completely comforting. It's part of our Writers Who Cook series, short recipes and essays from some of our favorite writers. You can read that recipe and see all our Writers Who Cook essays over at pen.org. And that's our episode for Thursday, July 2nd. Join us tomorrow for the Pen Pod. We'll have our weekly Tough Questions segment with Pen America CEO Suzanne Nossel. You can listen to all our episodes at pen.org. Follow us at Pen America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Sign up on our website for our daily Dare newsletter. That's where we track major stories about literature, free expression, and the news of the world. I'm Stephen Fee for Pen America. This is the Pen Pod. See you tomorrow.